Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Ambrose Blowfield. Ambrose, are you ready to do this? Absolutely, George G. I love that name. <laughs> that is high praise coming from Ambrose Blowfield. Let's 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 go. Ambrose is one of Australia's leading sales trainers and speakers. His newest book is Shut Up and Sell. I'm excited to have you on. Ambrose, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Fantastic, George. Um, as you may pick up or listeners pick up, um, I was born in the U- United Kingdom uh, to British parents. Um, I was raised in Switzerland. I then did a bilingual international business degree, which allowed me to study in both the UK and in France. Um, then I joined a global American company, Procter & Gamble, um, who invested tens of thousands of dollars in my learning and development, which was incredibly generous of them. Um, and then I saw the light, so to speak, and emigrated to live in Australia and New Zealand. So I've spent the last 20 years in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and for the last 17 years, we've been teaching people sales and marketing skills uh, to entrepreneurs around the world. And my why is I simply want to help the amazing hardworking entrepreneurs and teach them ways to be more confident in their sales in particular uh, so they can make more money for the amazing hours they put in. Nice. I appreciate all that. Does it does it cross people up when you are speaking from Australia but then they hear the British accent? Is that is that like does that scrambles people's brains sometimes, Ambrose? Oh, it absolutely does, uh, George. I mean, we, we I've delivered training uh, live into about 10 countries face to face, but also into over 20 online. Uh, but I'll be honest, look, I, I went to seven schools. I went to my seventh school when I was 11 years old. So um, I've been used to being the outsider. I've been used to confusing people. So I, I'm good. Look, I've lived in over 30 homes. Uh, George, it's just a long story to explain who am I and what was my background story. No, perfect, and I, 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 I appreciate, I appreciate a little bit of, of, of narrative there. UK raised in Switzerland, studied in France and the UK, property or Procter and Gamble, and lots of good education, and now twenty years of sales training for people all over the world. Um, because that's something that, that that we're certainly all doing, and so if we're working hard doing it, we, we, we might as well get compensated for it. Exactly. Do you find that, that, that there are common problems that you are running into when, when you are talking with people about getting better at sales? Definitely. I think there's two things, George. I guess for the first side, a lot of people have a scarcity mindset around sales. They, they absolutely approach it with the wrong paradigm or filter. Um, they assume that in order to win in sales in their business, the customer has to lose. And that's just a total lie. I don't know who came up with that. I don't know who spread the bad message. But I think people have a lot of mental blocks around selling. They think, well, if I get good at it, I'm doing someone down. And if you just stop and just think about it, if you're an entrepreneur and you're selling a product or a service and you sell somebody something, then typically if they're a logical, sane human being, they're not going to part with their money if they don't think your product and service is worth more to them than the money they part with. And people are pretty logical people. So I would say the first thing for people is to accept that you know, when you exchange a sale or an agreement that they're going to pay you for something, that other person you're selling to 
is actually going to gain from that. So I think that's the one problem. I think we put false paradigms or, or blocks on ourselves. Um, and the second thing is, I think we just discount too soon. I think the moment we get pushbacks, people who are untrained in sales, the first thing they reach to is, well, I'll lower my price. They don't understand my value, I'll lower my price. And I think that's a universal uh, mistake made by a lot of people in sales, especially if they don't see themselves as a salesperson. Interesting. It doesn't surprise me. Both of those things I've certainly been guilty of. Um, I know that just personally, and it's something that I've talked about occasionally on the show, is that early in my career, I, I really... I felt like I was doing something to people instead of for people and Correct. sort of what you were talking about. Absolutely. To me, uh, George, sales is service. I think we were put on this world to serve others. Now, in our personal life, those others are likely going to be our closest friends, certainly our family, our children, and maybe our community or even our country. But in business setting, we are simply there to serve our customers. And if we're delivering something of value to them in a product or a service or a combination of those two things, and we serve lots of people and we do it ethically and we follow people up and we support people, then we win. So we win in sales and we win in business because we're serving more people in in a better way. And I I think that's an important philosophy to take into business. Yeah, yeah, I I, I 100% agree. That I feel like that that might be one of those things that sounds easy but does hard. So that I hear that and I sort of intellectually get it, but how do I close that behavior gap? How do I dig deeper into that and really change the way that my brain is currently wired towards what you're talking about? So that's a great thing. Um, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the book we've got coming out in a couple of months, uh, Shut Up to Sell, uh, I guess sort of summarizes my philosophy on, on selling. I think if if entrepreneurs and salespeople uh, were to say less, they would, they would sell more or earn more. Um, and the reason for that is that you need to let the customer speak. You know, you need to make sure that your approach to selling is not learning how amazing you are, how amazing your product or service is, and how it's going to change the customer's life. What you need to do is to take the principle from what what, what I think is one of the best sales books and business books and life books of all time, which is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People uh, by Stephen R. Covey. And he says, seek first to understand then and only then seek to be understood. And that's the principle here, George. You know, We've got to ask questions of the customers. Seek to understand their current situation. Seek to understand their problems or their issues they're trying to overcome. Seek to understand what they want from you. And once you do that, and only once you do that, offer them a solution to that. And so that, to me, is the fundamental. If you take that approach to sales, you'll rarely make a mistake. Is is people's doing the opposite of that, going and pitching and selling, there's probably a lot of reasons, but why why do people do that? Why do they pitch instead of listen and ask questions? I think, um, look, if I'm going to be harsh on some people, Please. I'll say because they're because they're because they're selfish and they mm. think the world evolves around them, uh, not that they're there to serve their customers. Um, I think that's a fundamental issue for some. Um, secondly, I think a lot of movies and TV shows have wrongly portrayed what sales is. And they talk about, you know, insurance salesmen or used car salesmen of the 1950s. And it notice it's used car salesmen who get a bad rap on this. You know, they're wearing sleek suits and they rip people off. And it, it makes it great on film. It, it looks amazing to see them conning somebody. And then people go, oh, that's what they do. It's actually not. That's not what long-term successful salespeople do. In fact, most businesses, and as I mentioned, you know, I've been privileged to, to train people worldwide, both online and face-to-face. 
I've asked thousands of people at, at conferences we've spoken at and, and, and such like, and to say, look, how much of your business comes from word of mouth referrals? My, in terms of repeat business or people coming, people referring their friends. And most people say 75% of their income or more comes from customers coming back and comes from them referring their friends and their associates. Well, if that's the case, and that's my global average, you know, again, you know, not scientifically done, but done across thousands of people, um, most people expect return. If you rip somebody off, you know, you you con them, you talk about yourself, you sway them, you hoodwink them, you, you know, you cheat them out of their money, they won't come back and they definitely won't refer their friends. So fundamentally, if you're trying to talk too much and you're trying to persuade somebody in a direction they don't want to go, you will lose in business long term. I couldn't agree more, and I, I I think that you're spot on. Media's representation, well, just the way that that old school salespeople of the past, salesmen of the past, car dealers of of the 1950s, like you talked about, and something that that consistently boggles my mind is how people like Jordan Belford are still really really famous, and people are interested in hearing him. He's the Wolf of Wall Street. And if you're I do fun- know that, and he he makes my skin crawl. I have right. to confess. <laughs> exactly. It's like, why do people like this guy? He's famous and got rich, ripping people off and stealing from them. And and according to the FBI agent who who locked him up, because to me, I live my um, you know my uh, my life on strong values and beliefs uh, and faith and. You know, the, the thing that irks me most is the FBI agent who spent most life, most of his life re, um, researching him said he has literally no remorse. Now, that's, you know, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist, but that's sociopathic behavior to me. And it's the opposite of what I preach, so to speak, you know, in terms of serving others, doing good, leaving a legacy, getting massive loyalty. Even the end of the movie where, funnily enough, he goes to Auckland, New Zealand, where I'm based – um, and allegedly, you know, in the movie scene says, you know, sell me this pen. Um, you know, that's I, I got asked that in an interview working in Sydney, Australia once in recruitment. You know, I was interviewed and said, you know, could you sell me this? It was either a pen or a paperclip. And the approach is either you can talk about the merits of that pen or paperclip or you can talk about the customer. And if you stop and think about that for just one moment, who is your customer most interested in your pen or product or paperclip or themselves? Well, you know what? 99 times out of 100, unless they're Mother Teresa, they are focused <laughs> on themselves. And, I, and look, I've been privileged. That's another story. I, I, I was privileged to to meet Mother Teresa many, many years ago in India. But that that's an aside, not what your listeners need to hear here. But again, they're interested in themselves. So to me, when I when I had to role, role play that on the spot was, you know, ask the customer, you know, if it's a case of trying to sell a paperclip, you know, do you have a lot of paper? Because if they don't have a lot of paper, don't talk about paperclip. They're not going to buy a paperclip. They don't have a need for a paperclip. And then ask them, you know, do you have issues of trying to keep paper together? Well, yes, I do. Excellent. And and how would it be useful for you to keep paper together? Well, I just want something cheap and available um, and, and something I can repeat multiple times. Well, a staple's not going to work if you want to repeat it multiple times. A paperclip's the solution. So, you know, seek first to understand. That's the principle in life, I believe, not just in sales. Yeah. Amen. That's all really well said again. Um, I think uh, I, I, I learned that there's so much power in a good question. You don't need a perfect question. You just need yes. to be able to, to ask questions. Are there certain questions that, that, that you really love to ask um, or, or, or a process, sort of a structure that you like to follow when you're in a sales interview? Uh, yes, absolutely. Obsessively so, uh, George. Um, when I emigrated from Procter & Gamble in the UK 
uh, to Australia, I went into the recruitment trade actually. So um, I actually, instead of simply um, being recruited by a recruitment company, I, I actually decided to work for a recruitment company, which is all about sales. I mean, we say it's consulting and putting people into temporary or long-term jobs, but ultimately you, you need to sell a job to a candidate and you need to sell uh, the candidate to the client. So it's actually a double sales job. Um, and what I realized was, was that the, I was putting accountants into jobs in Sydney and I'd never done recruitment. I'd never worked in Sydney and I'd never actually worked in accountancy before. So I pretty much <laughs> didn't know the marketplace, didn't know the sector and didn't know who I was putting into jobs. And what I realized was not only the power of great questions, you know, if I, I watched my colleagues interview, some of whom had come from accountancy and the first mistake they were making is they didn't ask enough questions. That's the first thing. Um, secondly, and this is something we obsessively teach in, in a lot of our training and, you know, something we've taken into the US with a particular program, um, is obsessive around questions. I find most salespeople typically only ask maybe a quarter or half the number of questions they should ask. That's the first thing. Secondly, you said types of questions. They've got to be open-ended. So their questions must start with the words who or what or why or when or how or which or even just tell me, you know, those sorts of questions open up the conversation, not do you, are you, could you, will you, won't you? Those questions restrict somebody's answer. So you've got to focus on open-ended language that, and you know, that's just a brief overview. Obviously there's a lot more you can go into that around subjects you cover, but your language has got to be open. And then you said, do I have a set process? Absolutely. And that's what allowed me to essentially make twice the amount of sales um, in Sydney and recruitment in my first year than my colleagues were making in terms of our average. We were meant to bring, I remember the numbers, we were meant to bring in, you know, five and a half thousand dollars a week of sort of gross profit or margin um, on putting candidates out. And I was bringing in 11 or 12,000 a week, which is exactly double. And it was by having a structured process, which is learnable. You know, I was a clueless graduate, I believe, um, on entering the, the workplace market with Procter & Gamble many years ago. And they drilled us on a 10. Well, in their case, it was a, a seven step process. In our case, it's a 10 step process of what we teach um, being structured in the meeting. Um, and you and I both know, George, you know, the Olympians that have performed to such a high level recently in in Japan. You know, they have a process about everything they do. To me, salespeople need to have the same. Definitely agree. It's it's such an interesting thing. And I, I suppose it's probably a very, very human thing to want to resist having a sales process and follow scripts or frameworks when 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 somebody is early on in a sales career. But once you become a little bit more seasoned and mature, um, I feel like, at least for me personally, that, that I certainly have, 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 have embraced that. Is there any truth to that, do you think? Well, funnily enough, my experience, George, and this is, you know, we've trained 15,000 businesses worldwide over the years. I find the opposite is the case. What mm. I find is when people enter into the workforce, now we teach people mostly to sell business to business. So they could sell into another uh, corporation or they could sell into, a, you know, into a government department or, or into local sort of council or regional uh, development board, whatever it happens to be. They're selling something longer term rather than just straight retail, you know, selling a cup of coffee. We don't teach that. That's pretty simple. That's customer service. Just listen to the customer. But what I find is early in someone's career, they don't have the technical or product knowledge. So they often seek to have structure because they can't rely on their product knowledge. Just like me selling accountants into workplaces in Sydney, Australia, you know, I couldn't rely on my product knowledge because I didn't have any really. Um, and then what I find is people with experience about five or 10 years in think they know so much hmm. 
They think the customer worships them for knowing so much and they stop focusing on the customer and they start focusing on their knowledge and their technical knowledge and their product knowledge, which fundamentally is not serving anyone other than their own ego in some cases. Um, and they go away from structure. And I have to confess, and, and obviously I won't swear on your amazing podcast. I'm sure you've got some <laughs> listeners with delicate ears. But I remember training a guy. He, he was in Auckland, New Zealand. He was our, one of our biggest customers at the time. He had 30 years of sales experience. And he sat there with me for a, for a two-day program that we were teaching him uh, in his business. And he actually paid for the program for his team and himself. Um, and, and he sat there, folded his arms mm. for a day and a half. <laughs> You know, resisting everything I was teaching them. Have more structure. Word your questions correctly. Have a set process for handling objections without discounting. And he sat there, and about two or three hours before the end of the second day, he uncrossed them, picked up his pen for the first time, and started taking notes. And, <laughs> and then I, I followed him up, and I, I loved this. I walked into his office, George, about a month later, and he said, Ambrose, you total, and then obviously a, a series of swear words, um, <laughs> you know, afterwards. And then I said, oh, John, you know, great to see you. You know, um, you know why, why are you swearing at me? And he said, you know what? You were right all along. I used your process. And now I look back on the 30 years and go, how many sales did I miss out on? Mm. Because I wasn't prepared, because I wasn't structured, because I didn't ask the right questions. He said, now I'm living with regret saying, where the heck were you 30 years ago? It's a great story. It is possible to teach old dog new tricks and one hundred percent. I don't know who came out with that, George. It's a total. It's like the the expression: the customer's always right. That's not true either. No, actually, sometimes the customer's right. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they lie and change their mind. But the customer, what is true? is the customer is important, the customer deserves your respect, the customer is the customer. Without customers, you have no business. And the most important thing to remember is customers know other customers. So if you make them feel bad about themselves, if you make them feel disrespected, they will tell others. So the customer might not be right, but they are always the customer and they are always important. Love it. Well, Ambrose, the, the people are ready for your difference-making tip, even though you've given us a lot. What do you have for them? Um, for me, and I know this is aligned to your your um, your podcast as well, is never stop investing in yourself. Um, you know, Gandhi, who brought down the British Empire with his passive resistance, said, you know, you need to live today as if you're going to live forever, uh, but you need to learn, you know, live today, sorry, as if it's your last day on earth. You know, make the most of today, be grateful for today, but learn as if you're going to live, you're going to live forever. And that, to me, is for, for, uh, such a philosophy. Listen to podcasts, read articles, get trained. No matter what you do in life, learn how to communicate, pick up little tips every single day and challenge yourself to be 1% better every day of your life by continuing to learn forever. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Ambrose, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? Where can they get a copy of Shut Up to Sell? Uh, best way to reach out to us, George, uh, giving is one of our core values. Um, it's to visit our website, which is salesmasterycompany.com. So sales, the full word, you know, the word mastery, then the word company.com. Uh, and if they put forward slash podcast, um, there's a free sales tool available for them. So salesmasterycompany.com forward slash podcast. And then there's a free tool to get them started. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Ambrose your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to salesmasterycompany.com forward slash podcast and pick up that free tool. Thanks again, Ambrose. Once again, thank you, George.
And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.